Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where we talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Today, we're going to be talking about solutions looking for a problem. That's not a great title, but I want to talk about everything from Ponzi's to Elon to Web4 and just get into everything. So first off, Ponzinomics. So SBF of FTX went on Odd Lots last week and he basically described yield farming as a big Ponzi game, which was pretty surprising. Matt Levine himself was surprised and he said that he is a fairly cynical person and that this description that SBF gave was way more cynical than anything that he would have described it as. And SBF also described VC, so venture capital, as a bit of a Ponzi game, highlighting the difference between building and burning and that it's really best to do both rather than just the latter. And he called all the models are made up, right? In VC land and that most of the time it's just an element of FOMO and people saying like, oh, I'm going to invest in this thing because other people are investing in that thing, a little bit of reflexivity. But I think all of this makes sense. VCs have money that they have to allocate and so they kind of treat companies as absorption tools most of the time. It's mostly spaghetti at the wall. And if you go back to Ponzi, that, that is like the whole thesis of Olympus and being stock where the more people put in money the more things go up and to caveat all of this it's not a bad thing and stocks are kind of similar right so tesla for a random example goes up because fundamentals of course but also because people are like a daddy elon and oddly enough that's sort of what bill huang got arrested for he bought so much of some stocks on massive leverage that the sec was like well bill you bought a lot of this through total return swaps and you've lied to people which allowed you to influence price therefore you're going to jail for market manipulation the sec we allege that they have propped up a $36 billion house of cards by engaging in a constant cycle of manipulative trading, lying to banks to obtain additional capacity, and then using that capacity to engage in still more manipulative trading. More money, more thing go up. And I guess the takeaway is you either live long enough to see the board apes get hacked yet again, or for the pyramid to invert. I think Kristen Stone said this really well, where in Web3 we thought giving early contributors tokens to a project would incentivize participation, instead it incentivize greed. Because humans are naturally little raccoons, we love to gobble up money and when given a scenario where we can make a lot of money we're going to take full advantage of that and this isn't a bad thing people hold on to things if they're good to hold on to value accrual wise and honestly greed probably drives a lot of the innovation that we see and so it's a weird debate on what value ethically means and that is a windy rabbit hole i really liked barry's take and purposeless capital where he said without a purpose money is merely an entry in an accounting ledger but capital tied to a useful purpose has magical powers what's going on with the us dollar it's absolutely skyrocketing the Fed. So it's mostly on the move because of expected rate hikes and the shrinking of the balance sheet and the subsequent move in treasuries. But also the rest of the world is kind of confusing right now. China's shutting down. Japan is easing their economy into oblivion. So everyone's like, yeah, I want to be in dollar denominated assets, which creates even more demand and even more upward pressure. And the yen has fallen more than 10% against the dollar in seven weeks, which is making people question if the yen is still a safe haven to be in during times of uncertainty. And the BOJ is coming in with an entire battalion of unlimited bond buying. And it's not not just level, uh, you know, yen at 130, but also rate of change. The yen is on a tear. And I think that investors are quickly running out of alternatives and the dollar is the land of last resort. But of course, Europe is still buying Russian gas and so the ruble is somehow outperforming. Germany is a key buyer here, buying over 30 billion cubic meters of gas. And GDP came out today and GDP growth unexpectedly declined at negative 1.4% 
3.6% growth for Q1 2022. So that's not super great, but it is 3.6% year over year. The recent GDP print wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. For a very simplified explanation, GDP equals consumption plus investment plus government spending plus exports minus imports, where investment equals fixed investment, residential investment plus change in inventory. And a big drag on this was the fall in inventory ad, where businesses added a lot more inventory in Q4 2021 versus Q1 2022. And so there's decline growth naturally. And then net exports. So we are importing a lot of things. If so, if we're importing more than we're exporting, the exports minus imports number is going to drag on growth too. A trade deficit at a record high is going to weigh on GDP numbers. And this ties into the stronger dollar. Imports are cheaper, but US exports suffer because it makes American made goods more expensive. But demand is still ripping. Consumption was plus 2.7%, business fixed investment was plus 9.2%, residential investment was plus 2.1%. The main takeaway is that the economy is still growing at 3.6% year over year. So this isn't recession time, despite what people might be saying on Twitter. Things are okay, but there's still a lot of, to pay attention to. Job growth is strong, investments are happening, corporations are sort of okay. Also, is GDP even a good measure of consumer welfare, economic strength, maybe? And now the question will be, can the consumer hang on? The Fed seems to be intent on their path forward, and because this report was relatively strong on the demand side, things should be okay. It's still worrying. Elon Twitter. So Elon Musk is buying Twitter, at least for right now. He did indeed F around and find out. There are a lot of questions around the mechanics of the deal. What happens if Tesla's price continues to fall? Why did all the big banks choose to help him with this deal? But I think the biggest question will be, what happens to Twitter? You've got governments, brands, financial institutions, and a lot of people discussing and doing things on here. When tweets get circulated outside the ecosystem, one could argue that Instagram is merely screenshot Twitter. No offense, suck. But I think there will be a few interesting questions around this deal. So can he finance it? I mean, sure, as long as Tesla stock doesn't drop to 740, he should be fine. But is it worth it? But also, how much would you spend on marketing? I can't, it kind of makes sense to spend $44 billion on your own marketing arm, which is what Elon seems to be doing. That's not too bad if spread out over several years. And also think about all the press this has given him so far. Really incredible stuff. It's a lot of marketing and if he chooses to nix the deal he paid one billion dollars for an absurd amount of attention but i think you know free speech i think we need to have a sit down to discuss what this means and how it applies because people seem to think that free speech implies that they can define free speech however they want and maybe that is what it means but there's a line between harassment which is harmful and no one wants to experience that trust me and speaking truth i don't think you should be able to watch around and harass whoever you want i like to use take here where this person and said, I don't actually think free speech is an absolute good. If no ideas are restricted, then the ones that are most mimetically powerful are going to be the ones that spread around the most. And then the question comes to China. So as Reuters wrote, Tesla produces a lot of vehicles there. And if all of a sudden China was like, you own Twitter, we're not on Twitter, we don't like Twitter, and they sort of use that against him, what does that mean? I'm not sure. It feels pretty inflammatory and it's like pointing fingers, but like it might have some, some validity. And I think that this is all basically a cornerstone in this like weird culture war that we have going on where it's anti-wokeism, anti-government, anti-censorship, whatever. But I also think it's really interesting because all the billionaires are piling onto this and decrying the government. And it's just interesting. It's just sort of interesting to watch them say the man is bad and we must topple the institutions. And it's like, aren't you exactly that? You know, it's a strange sort of cognitive dissonance where I know that we know that you are this, but do you realize you are the thing that you're lobbying against? And so finally, what is 
Elon thinking. I really liked Karis Swisher's take on him because it captured his zeitgeist really well, I think. He's a really, really powerful guy that happens to shitpost, but the power comes before the shit. And I think that Kara said to reduce him down to like a cartoon character is a mistake, and I completely agree with her. And then finally, I really liked Andy's take on what Twitter could be. Like everybody's focusing on, you know, the anti-censorship stuff and not focusing on how how cool it is, right? Like how cool it is that we're able to log on, be connected every day. Like that's so freaking valuable. And, and instead we choose to yell at each other. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. And as Midtown East highlighted, there's this paradox of tolerance by Karl Popper. And I think that applies here too, where unlimited tolerance must lead to the disappearance of tolerance. If we extend unlimited tolerance, even those two who are intolerant, if we are not prepared to defend a tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant, then the tolerant will be destroyed and tolerance with them. You can't have unlimited tolerance. You can't have unlimited anything because the intolerant take over the tolerant. So defending tolerance requires to not tolerate the intolerant, as Popper said. It's as confusing as it sounds. Web 4 is going to be commodities. So remember nickel? That was only like two months ago. But the head of the London Metal Exchange was like, okay, I'm going to leave this crazy metal show for crypto. It's so much less crazy than crypto. And then he changed his mind and he was like, actually, I'm going to stay in the commodity industry because it's even more crazy than crypto, which is bonkers. And he wants to continue like working there. Crypto is still pretty wild. People are taking out their mortgages in crypto and a company is like, let's package these crypto mortgages and securitize them. And surely, you know, nothing bad has ever happened when you've done something like that. As Mark Gongloff wrote, if you entered into a contest to see you could define like the stupidest financial instrument, taking home mortgages backed by crypto, slicing them into mortgage-backed securities and selling them at the moment the global financial system is being bludgeoned by the pandemic or in Jerome Powell is probably one of the like, silliest ideas you could come up with. And I think that we're going to start seeing some sort of reckoning where it's like, oh dang, you know, we were really betting the literal house on vapor. And I think that there are very, very good projects in crypto and I'm bullish on the space in general, but I do think there's something to be said around this broad weirdness. And Zoltan's thesis around commodities, that countries are all going to be stockpiling commodities and domestic protectionism that will result in more reshoring, applies to consumer too. I think we could see people begin to rotate towards some concept of hard assets. I don't know if it's gold, real estate, whatever. But I do think it will be a reckoning of I want physical wealth, not paper wealth. And that's pretty oversimplified, but considering the raw material shortages and continued energy crisis, it will be interesting to see how individual digital wealth evolves. Finally, ARK ship seems to be sinking, which is a flashing red bell for a lot of things, but things are okay mostly. Consumers are doing okay. Things are pretty silly. Beyond Meat was supposed to become a permanent McDonald's item, and the McDonald's was like, no thanks. And Beyond Meat fell 32%. <laughs> because of that. And most of our solutions are simply problems. I have a bunch of links in the Substack itself if you want to go check those out. Lots of things to read this week, and I hope that you enjoyed. Have a great day, and I hope that you're doing well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.